My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Bugs by the Yard. We are... um, well, not well into 2024, but we're just kind of creeping into 2024. And by the time this podcast gets published, we'll be kind of around the corner from spring, hopefully for most of us in Texas. I'm not sure if another Arctic blast is going to come through. It always happens. When we say things are going to warm up, that's when it (laughs) freezes again, right? (laughs) But um, what we're talking about this episode is crepe myrtle bark scale, which is a um, major pest. I don't know if I want to say major, but a very, but a pretty common pest on crepe myrtles. And I think that crepe myrtles are probably the most commonly planted ornamental tree in the South, really, not even just in Texas, but in all Southern states. I think it's planted more than anything else is maybe even over planted. And the reason why we plant crepe myrtle bark crepe myrtle is because it's um, aesthetically pleasing. It blooms and it's really pretty and um, it's an ornamental tree. That's, you know, that's the purpose of it in the landscape. And this crepe myrtle bark scale um, puts that beautiful aesthetic value at risk. And that's why a lot of people are concerned about it. I will start off by saying that if the tree is otherwise healthy, it won't kill the tree. In really rare occasions, does your crepe myrtle succumb and die from the bark scale? Uh, but it's because something else was going on and um, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the scale's fault. The scale just took uh, care or took advantage, advantage. of the Yeah, There you go. I don't know what is wrong with my brain, but I cannot like, there are the easiest words. I can give you the definition of it, but the word will not come out. And I do this in life all the time, but it's now happening with work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. I need some, I don't know, supplements or something. I was trying to order groceries the other day and this is totally off topic, but I could not remember broth. I was like looking for beef, beef broth. And I actually searched for beef juice because I was like, (laughs) I cannot think of what it's called. And I started laughing because I was like, this is the stupidest thing, but (laughs) I don't know what it's called. I hate it. It's so frustrating. (laughs) It's coming around the corner for you, Brian. Yep. It's creeping up. A few more years for you than us. Yeah. A decade. A decade. It's hitting me hard. (laughs) This year it is hitting me hard. Um, It's crazy. So if I say weird words, uh, that's why. Give me some grace, please, because I don't know what I'm saying half the time. We love Uh, you no matter what, Molly. Thank you. So um, crepe myrtle bark scale was first confirmed in the whole United States of America in Texas. I didn't realize that, that it was confirmed in Dallas. And um, up in Dallas, Mike Merchant, before you, Bryant, did a lot of work on this crepe myrtle bark scale. And and it was probably introduced before that and maybe somewhere else. But there's a lot of crepe myrtles in Dallas. Just urban areas have crepe myrtles in any like mall that you go to or shopping center. That's what they plant. I mean, are they low input as far as water or is it just, it's a relatively cheap, easy to grow quickly tree? I think it's pretty resistant to like, it's drought resistant. It doesn't have a lot of pests. And so when it was getting attacked by the scale, I think they thought it was a different 
native scale. And then Mike did that, like heated out and found that it was something totally different. Great Myrtle. Yeah. And this is a really good example of why you don't want to plant only the same thing in monoculture, because when something does come in to hurt it, all your stuff looks awful or it dies. And so having um, a variety of different things is in the landscape is important in case one thing doesn't do well. And we learned our lesson with that with, uh, or we are learning our lesson with that, at least up kind of in the Northeast part of the country with Emerald ash borer. Um, If you think about uh, oak wilt, even though a lot of these are native, when one single type of plant has a disease or an issue and they all die, you, it takes a long time to replace those things. So um, that's just my little soapbox about what, when you're thinking about what to do for your landscape, I'll get off of it now. Well, and also it might be a good idea to look towards some of our natives, the way that our weather has been yo-yoing the past several years. So natives might be able to withstand that a little bit more. Exactly. So what the crepe myrtle bark scale does is um, it's a scale. So it's a sucking insect. It sucks the phloem out of the plant and any insect that's a sucker when it pees, it's peeing out those sweet juices from the plant. And so it will produce honeydew. And that really is what is the deal with these guys. Cause this, the honeydew will turn into sooty mold and it turns black and the barks of the crepe myrtle are just black. And they're, it almost looks like they have, um, well, they have ash or soot on them and they don't look very pretty at all. Um, <clears throat> the tree probably is still going to have lots of leaves and produce blooms, but it just isn't aesthetically pleasing. And that is why we plant these things, which is why this, this, um, scale is kind of an issue. Do you, y'all have them for sure in Austin, right? We have them all over. Oh yeah. They're and they're everywhere. all over Dallas too. Yeah. I know. Um, they are unfortunately kind of hard to control. What else? Oh, I guess for identifying these guys, black sooty mold on the bark and they can also be on the leaves like if if they're they they're only found on this on the um trunk of the tree they're found on like branches in the trunk so if they're i guess if they're up on the branches then they can pee on the foliage leaves yeah Yeah. i don't really see it on the well right now there's no leaves on the crepe myrtles but (laughs) i always notice it primarily on the trunks than anywhere else um, they're like a whitish scale. I guess they're a soft scale. And apparently if you mush them, they'll bleed pink. But I think other ones will do the same thing. Like hibiscus scale will do that. So that's not like a, that's not particularly a characteristic that would say, oh, it's definitely this guy. They um, can get on a number of other families. I They've been confirmed on American Beautyberry. So that's not so good because that's a native and it's a wildlife um food and uh, a pollinating plant Uh, but like the different things that they might also be found on are persimmon and pomegranate but I don't know that I have ever heard that they are a huge issue on those it's really just crepe myrtle and then apparently raspberries blackberries and dewberries huh yeah I'm gonna need to keep an eye out on like some of my other stuff because I have pomegranate and like berries and stuff. So I need to eyeball that. I also have a crepe myrtle in the front yard, but I haven't gotten them. And I know we have them in the neighborhood. My American beauty berry got some um, this past year, actually, when I moved to Dallas. Yeah. That's a bummer. I cut it back. It's usually us that spreads them on infested nursery material, but like short distances, 
it it could be a bird or something or a lizard that you know picks one up on their body and then so the movement the spread of these guys is is slow probably on its own um because they're not going to go jump from plant to plant it takes something else to do it but we are gonna just i mean humans really mess things up all the time we're certain but they don't have wings right yeah well the males pupate and then emerge as a winged adult okay females don't and of course the babies don't but what does he need wings for unless he's gonna he's not probably gonna he's not gonna lay eggs so he's not spreading things he's just god gave him wings to find more girlfriends he's perpetuating the species (laughs) there you go so the the females are they're larger in size than the males are. They're more of an oval shape, whereas the males have a more elongated shape. And did you, did we say that they uh, secrete that waxy? I did not. Schmutz. Yeah, they're like a, they're like cottony. Um, they're like a, they're not a cottony cushion scale, but they're real cottony, um, white in color. And, um, I guess you would see them when, when you've seen them on plants. So what I've normally noticed is like this time of year and I see the sooty mold, but I don't actually ever notice the scales. So they must really eat a lot or hide themselves maybe up above the trunk that in the canopy a little bit more, but are, when you see them infesting um, trees, is it noticeable to see the scales on them or do you have to kind of get looking? Yes. If you have a heavily infested tree or you're being very thorough about your, I guess, inspection or whatever, if you're paranoid, I mean, I I know they're in the neighborhood. And so I've been monitoring kind of the trees that I see because everybody has crepe myrtles. Um, They they have that white fluff, but it's not just covering the scale insect. It also covers the egg sacs. And the only one that really doesn't have that i think is probably the crawler stage because once they settle down then they're going to start secreting that but yeah you can see them usually if you have something that's really heavily infested the trunk is going to be essentially black and white so you have that white fluff from the scales and then the black from the sooty sooty mold that's covering the honeydew it almost looks like to me um like like lichen growth or something uh, on the And usually when I see like the ones that I've been seeing populations just starting, it's usually um, like where it's been pruned or in a crotch of a branch or something, which I don't know. I I would be interested to know how much the stress that we cause Mm -hmm. crepe myrtles from hacking them off, which you shouldn't do. So if you do that, please stop. Um, I wonder how much that stress kind of plays into this as well as um, if you have somebody do that for you, is that helping to transfer this insect sure. to other areas because they're going to be using the same mm-hmm. tools to do that in various locations? I think it definitely does um, because my understanding is that they're also attracted to wounds. So if maybe they're on, you know, a lot of people plant a bunch of crepe myrtles right next to each other. If they're all touching, the the branches are all touching and you do what we call crepe murder and you chop them off when you're pruning too much or you're, or you're, you're causing a wound, then they're attracted to the, whatever's oozing out of that wound. So, you know, if you're going to get crepe myrtles, there's dwarfs, to really super tall ones. So purchase the right plant for the size that you want it to be, but it's not, it, 
it's arthritic to cut them like that. It's, it's not what you're supposed to do, but everybody does it. I hate seeing it. So me too. Um, so I guess a little bit more of the life cycle. Wizzy mentioned these crawlers. So all scales will, will do this where they hatch out of an egg sac. And that very first instar, the very first nymph is going to crawl and they're going to move to a, like a clear spot where they can dock down, produce the wax, and then just feed for the rest of their lives. And in that crawling stage, they're exposed. And that's the best time to try to treat for them before they protect themselves with this waxy layer. Um, and the way that the best way to try to find the crawling stage, it's kind of labor intensive and a little tedious. And you're always checking the plant is to use a double-sided stick tape and wrap it. Like I always say just above, cause they're, I don't think they really go down. They seem to continue to move North. Right. Um, so above where the heaviest infestation is, or, or I guess above where the infestation seems to have stopped. And then when you catch them, when you catch these little red things on your tape, then it's a good time to treat because they're exposed. It's time to spray and try to kill them. Well, your double-sided tape, you would need to replace at least weekly because you're going to have dirt and debris and schmutz kind of yeah. build up. And if it's not sticky anymore, it's obviously not going to catch the crawlers and, and not help you. Most uh, scales, they say it's like every two weeks they'll hit another crawling stage. Is that the same? Probably the same for these guys? It's a good assumption, but I honestly don't yeah, know. I don't. We were talking about that. How many, like how many generations? Because I, I would imagine here in Texas, we probably have quite a few generations yeah. per year. And these usually start, uh, and Bryant and I were talking about that too, like when they start becoming active, right? <laughs> it was kind of like, usually it's, we said what, April-ish, Bryant? I I would say maybe even earlier. When they're active? Like, like when they really start kind of. I guess of... it depends on how far, I mean, if you're in South Texas, maybe, maybe even March. Because I know that our great myrtles down, down South, South start putting on really good growth. Like that last week of February, beginning of March, um, which is kind of whenever we would prune, not crepe murder, but just like your normal pruning. Um, and mind you, I, I will say this time of the year too, is really good to inspect those crepe myrtles because mm -hmm. there's no foliage and you can really see what your yeah. tree looks Definitely like easier. if it's, you know, Yes, so, yeah, definitely. Um, also, I I don't know if we talked about how the the coloration. So those those crawlers, those nymphs, are kind of pink in color, and then the egg clutches themselves too are pinkish in color. But what Molly had also mentioned was, um, and, and I think a lot of scales are used for this, like for their red pigment that kind of dye. So if you rub your finger along the stem. You'll, you'll get that kind of, I, I don't know if it's. Well, only cochineals use. Is it, is it just that, that's, bug, that red bug color? Juice. But yeah. Yeah. Bug <laughs> juice. If you're, I don't know, curious, you could maybe grind it up and paint a picture or something. That'd probably be way too pale. Cause even the cochineal, which is used for dye, comes out pretty pale. I watched a documentary all about that. Um, a woman's family that raises mm -hmm. uh, it's they're on cacti, right? The cochineal. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. um, scale. I think they're in like Oaxaca, Mexico or something. And, and they have a huge plantation where they are always propagating cacti and, and raising these scales for dye. It's a dying art, but it's very interesting. And I would love to visit. <laughs> okay. So back to uh bark scale a little bit. Uh, Irfan's research and he, when he did it, it was Dallas and like, uh, t- um, I'm sure Tyler area. So he didn't go way, way down South, but he found in working with other people that it, in Louisiana also um, it's mid April when the crawlers really start to get going, but you're right, Brian, it probably depends a lot on like when spring actually happens for you. And I would assume that if you're further down South and you can, it may not be mid April, it's going to be like beginning of April, maybe even beginning of, or middle of, of March. Um, that's, but that's just for app, applications if you're going to so you you have two options for treating these guys one or three one ignore live with it um two is to spray the trunk do a foliar application or a trunk spray to physically touch them and the third option is to use a systemic and um there's a kind of a side note about that that I want to make sure that we mention before the end of this podcast but drench I mean a uh, bark sprays are going to physically kill those crawlers. So when they hatch out of the egg sac, I'm assuming the egg sac was overwintering. Um, I'm assuming they don't overwinter as adults. And so they're waiting until it warms up. They start to crawl out and then you try to kill them before they get old enough to make babies of their own. They're also, I know that Irfan did, uh, Irfan is, he used to be on the podcast, but he was um, a former um, extension entomologist also and he did a lot with greenhouse and ornamentals but I know that they did some research on like physically trying to be abrasive to the uh, trunk to try to smush them and it just I guess they just get in nice tight grooves that it really didn't lower the population enough that it's a valid or a reasonable way to control them unless you're just doing it every day maybe and I also know that oils don't are not effective at all so kind of don't waste your money on that kind of stuff. Um, unfortunately it's kind of the, the harsher products or the, the big guns, I suppose. I don't want to say harsher, maybe. Yeah, definitely not the stuff that we talked about last time. Right. Yeah. Not, not the low impact stuff. Which if you don't like these, then just live with it. It, You know, if, if your crepe myrtle is otherwise healthy, it's probably going to be just fine. It'll just look ugly for a while. Yes. So you can also do a drench, which is, uh, Uh, neonicotinoids if you do a drench it goes up into the roots of the plant it can take about 60 days so if you're going to do drenches they say to do it in march so that it is in the tree when they're feeding on it Um, but the the timing of this podcast is good because if you have crepe myrtles you have this issue we're trying to get you those tools so you can do it early instead of noticing that they look awful in june and it was too it's too late to really do anything and since on the the drench since depending on where you are in Texas, <laughs> your March may not work for you. It's so whenever your crepe myrtles start to leaf out, that's essentially where that that's going to be the key. So keep an eyeball when you start seeing those first leaves come out. That would be when you do the drench. Yeah, at the time of bud break. Um, some of the products that you will find are the active ingredients for drenches: imidacloprid, cope, goodness gracious, imidacloprid. Dinotefuran, um, those are both neonicotinoids. 
uh, as bark sprays, dinotefuran, pyroproxifen, which is an insect growth regulator, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as effective, but it's a kind of a less impactful on other things uh, option. Uh, Buprofizen, I'm not sure what that class is. I'm, I don't know. I can look it up. And then bifenthrin, which is a pyrethroid. All of these, except for that pyroproxifen, are going to be impactful on your um, pollinators. And one thing that I would mention and to really think about is that, so out of the honeybee lab, um, there was a PhD student, he's now probably a postdoc, who did uh, an extensive study collecting pollen from hives in urban areas. And the main pollen source for urban honeybees was from crepe myrtles. So I don't really, oh. I, I always say that as a caution because maybe if, if it's not really hurting the tree, you're really harming those pollinators and, and think about that and don't just do it just because. Oh. That's another reason that you kind of want to do it right when it starts to leaf out because that product is going to get into the tree, be there, knock out the scales, and then hopefully kind of degrade before you really start getting those blooms in the summertime where those pollinators would be moving in. Yeah. And buprofazin is a, another insect growth regulator. Oh, good. Okay. So there's two of those options. Um, and yeah, think, and also know what kind of tree you have, because like some are going to bloom early and some wait until mm -hmm. this, I mean, I think the majority like to bloom in the summer, but then even some will continue to bloom in the fall. So if it's, if yours is an early bloomer, for sure, avoid the, um, those insect growth regulators for sure. You're and the other thing on the sprays that we might want to mention is if you don't have crawlers on your tree, there is no point in using yeah. a spray on the trunk and the branches because it is only going to do something against those crawlers. Yes. So don't make unneeded spray applications because you think that you're doing something when you're not. And I just said the wrong thing, so... I said, don't use the insect growth regulators. I meant don't use the, um, the systemics, the systemic options. If you have an early blooming crepe myrtle. Also, I'm going to go back really quick to pruning. So if you do prune back a bit of your tree, because you're noticing activity, um, making sure that you kind of quickly burn that pile of, <laughs> um, you know, twigs that you've, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't leave that on the side of the road for someone to pick up. And that's kind of also how things get spread, right? Um, if it's infested, you want to prune and, and, and burn that brush quickly. And also clean your pruning, again, what pruning? Um... Supplies, materials. There we go. Utensil Thank you. Materials. No, it's not utensils. <laughs> oh my <Well>. God. <laughs> yes. You're pruners. There we go. I should just say that. Clean those, make sure that you aren't spreading those. And that's not just um, not like if you're going to another, but if you go from tree to tree, you want to clean it in between those as well. That way you're not transferring anything from tree to tree. Right. And check your trees when you're purchasing them from big box stores and nurseries too. That's a good one. Avoid it in the first place. Yeah. So I'm looking at, um, I, I, so people who do like early, I guess, fertile fertilizer treatments and whatnot, um, that 
high nitrogen content will also kind of yeah. boost the 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 insect growth um early on as well yeah and th- I, that's for a lot of things i always read that a lot that nitrogen kind of um revs them up a little bit so uh, reduce nitrogen. If you're fertilizing, maybe reduce the nitrogen amount or don't fertilize when you have a major insect issue, which kind of sounds counterintuitive when you tell people keep healthy trees and fertilization is part of that, but it actually can help the bugs too. I think, I know you mentioned about the, the scrubbing not working, but I, that's usually what I tell people if they if they don't do anything and the sooty mold and whatnot is getting really gross. Yeah. Late in the season, like if you're in summer, fall, it's really too late to do any sort of actual pesticide treatment at that point. And so I just bucket of soapy water and a scrub brush and physically remove as much as you can. And, you know, then definitely keep an eye out the following spring and maybe think about doing a treatment for either the crawlers or the uh, drench when it starts to leaf out. But at that point, you're just kind of putting a bandaid on things. You're not going to actually control anything. Yeah. And I mean, if it, if it's just a handful of trees, one or two in your yard, and they're kind of the smaller version of the tree, and it's just a homeowner, that's definitely something you could do. But if you're, if you're a commercial grower, it's just not, it's just not possible, but it is easier for an individual to do it. Um, and it's less the soap, even it's the physical mm-hmm. abrasion and just kind of yeah. stuff. And you are reducing the population some too. It's just, you're not annihilating it. <laughs> and there are, um, I don't think that we mentioned uh, predators. There are predators oh, yeah. that are going to be attacking these. So it's not like they're some invincible insect that nothing ever is going to kill them. But That's another thing that you have to take into consideration, making sure that you're doing something that's going to help to conserve any of those beneficials that you have. And a good example would be, you know, ladybird beetle, uh, both adults and larvae would feed on these. Yeah, I was reading that um, our former colleague, Mike Merchant, did a study, and I'm not sure how it was, but it was, so I guess they called it an exclusion trial, pesticide treatment for ladybugs. So I'm assuming that they maybe used pesticides on one plant to kill the ladybugs and then had other crepe myrtles that were ladybugs were present, but they found 75% suppression of the scale. And that's huge. So that's another reason why maybe don't use the bark sprays uh, because you might be knocking out some of your beneficials as well. So kind of let nature take its course here unless And there's always situations, right? Like somebody maybe planted this tree in honor of somebody that died and you need it to be alive or it has a special meaning to you. But if it's just in your landscape and it's still doing the things you want it to do, then it's probably fine. It just doesn't look as pretty on the trunk. I've also seen many, if you're, if you're considering planting crepe myrtle, um, I've seen a lot of sources mention that uh, the crepe myrtle bark sale doesn't do as well in those like full sun areas. Or I guess what I oh. should say is there's significantly higher populations in like the shaded regions. But that being said, even within the tree itself, um, we've talked about how they go up into the canopy. You'll notice that you don't see a lot of them on the outside, but you get up underneath there, underneath the the leaves. So um, in all reality, the tree itself is 
has protected areas. Um, but yeah, you know, being mindful of that and <clears throat> not just looking, you know, from from a far away distance, getting up close to your tree and inspecting the underside. And and like where branches and things kind of separate off in that cr- crack. <laughs> I don't know, the little V that it makes. They like uh at least in pictures. Uh, they seem, seems like they're always clustered there. So yeah, protected, not exposed areas. They're not dumb. They're not going to let them. That's usually a lot. That's usually where I find them. Like when they're first kind of starting off the populations in the spring, those are usually where they're clustered first Yeah, and then they start spreading from there. Okay. Well, hopefully you learned a little bit about this, not new, but not old uh, pest on a plant that is probably in your landscape and hopefully um, it keeps you from maybe panicking or being really worried about it. We know it's throughout Texas because we've got crepe myrtles throughout Texas. So if you happen to find it in your county, it's not reportable or anything like that. And like Bryant said, if you're planning on planting one, do some good inspecting before you purchase that from the nursery or your landscaper brings it into the um, into your landscape. We uh, will be up next. Our next podcast is about uh, mason bees, I think. Um, so also good for spring. So stay tuned in a couple weeks to catch that one and we'll catch you next time. Howdy to our listeners and fellow bug nerds. We want to take the time to tell you to check out our show notes on each episode and for more information and supplemental materials on the topics covered. Additionally, if you have any questions or recommendations for what you may want to learn more about, you can send us an email to www.bugsbytheyard at gmail.com. If you enjoy this content and would like to learn more about structural pests that may invade your home, check out our other podcast, Unwanted Guests. Brought to you by Texas A&M University AgriLife Extension and the Department of Entomology. As always, please subscribe or follow the podcast feed to make sure you never miss an episode.